John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to pick up reading in verse number 38. Verse number 38, we're going to read down through verse number 59. It's going to be somewhat of a lengthy text this morning, um, and it's going, to be a, it's going to be a very challenging text, but a very simple text. Okay, there's been a lot, um, the challenging part is removing what other people have said about it and just allowing the Bible to speak for itself. Uh, But John chapter 6, Jesus is still speaking. This is still connected with the feeding of the 5,000. This is still part of Jesus. In fact, verse number 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me, shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he had said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I am come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. They were murmuring among themselves, and Jesus answers their own questions. They weren't addressing their questions to Jesus, but Jesus, as God, knowing their heart, answers their questions. No man can come to me, verse number 44, no man can come to me except the Father, which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. You see how Jesus switches. He said, that manna, then he switches this. He's pointing to himself, this bread cometh down from heaven. Verse number 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed." He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father hath sent me, and as I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That's quite the text, isn't it? The title this morning is A Meal That Satisfies for All Eternity. A meal that satisfies for all eternity. Let's ask the Lord's help again this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I just come before you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace, what you've given us. I pray, Lord, that you would confront us with truth this morning, that you would help us to remember who you are, how you want us to live. Lord, I pray that you would make your word and your truth clear in our mind. Pray that you would speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A meal that satisfies for all of eternity. How many ate breakfast this morning? How many are going to be hungry again at lunchtime? <laughs> okay. We know this, that meals don't satisfy for very long. Even if you ate Thanksgiving and, or, or a great meal and you stuffed yourself to where you could not eat another bite, it's only a matter of time till you're hungry again. But Jesus is talking about something that satisfies now and satisfies for all of eternity. Something that once you have it, once you eat of it, once you partake of it, you are always full. You are always satisfied. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Sounds like something only a good and gracious God could give to us. Jesus is teaching. He is trying to explain to this multitude. He's trying to explain to us today. This isn't just for the multitude. This is for every person who will simply open God's Word and read for themselves. He's trying to explain about Himself and what He wants to do in our lives. Jesus is telling them, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I came down from heaven, which means Jesus Christ is deity. Jesus wasn't just a messenger. He wasn't just an angel. He, was the, he is currently the very Son of God, and yet He came to this earth for the purpose of completing the will of the Father. Right At the beginning of our text, we read that over and over again. I'm here to do the will of the Father, that I came as the bread of life to satisfy the hunger, to satisfy the thirst of men's heart, because that is the will of the Father. The will of the Father for your life is to be satisfied. The will of the Father is for you to be able to sing, then came Jesus into my life and he, he, he soothed my heart and He made me clean by His own blood. That is God's will for your life. And Jesus revealed to the multitude, I am the true bread. He's, remember, the multitude came looking for physical bread. And he is contrasting himself with the manna and the wilderness that was a wonderful gift from God, that was a daily provision for the people of Israel. It was a supernatural bread, but it was still a physical bread. And Jesus emphasized, just for time's sake, we're going to keep moving here. If you're, if you're with me, you can say amen. You can nod your head so we can uh, uh, keep moving here. I don't want to preach the last three messages again. I don't think my voice can hold up. All right. He's contrasting the manna with himself. He's contrasting the meal he had fed them the day before with himself. 
They ate manna, you ate the physical bread, but who eats of this bread? It's temporal. You're hungry again. You need more. But Jesus states, I am the bread of life. He's explaining that the true bread of heaven is not something, but it is someone. It is a person. He is emphasizing the greater spiritual value of himself. Yes, that manna was nice. Yes, that was a symbol of God's presence. Yes, that was a blessing from God. But you don't need the physical bread nearly as much as you need the spiritual bread. You need God. Just as bread is necessary, Jesus is emphasizing, just as bread is necessary for physical life, you need to eat. Amen. There's nothing wrong with eating. Okay? You need to have the spiritual bread. That just as physical bread is necessary for physical life, spiritual bread is necessary for spiritual life. And he says, I am come. I'm not here just doing my own thing. I'm here to do the will of the Father. He was not here for his own purposes, but Jesus was especially not, not there for the whims or the cravings of, any, of the multitude. Jesus wasn't there to satisfy, well, this is what would really make us happy. This is what we would really like. Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm here to serve the Father. And this is the will of the Father, is that everyone would believe. What does it say there in verse number 40? This is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The will of the Father was, by the way, the will of the Father still is, that every person spend eternity with God. That's God's desire for your life. That's God's will for every person on the North Fork, for every person on Long Island, for every person in the United States, in this world, is for them to hear the message of Jesus Christ and have everlasting life. 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Why is God not judging all the evil? Why is God not just sending down lightning bolts? Because He's long-suffering. Okay, why is he long-suffering? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is giving us right now, God is giving this world a space of grace. He is giving us an opportunity to, have, to follow the will of the Father and receive the gift he is offering us. That's why the Father sent Jesus. He is the bread of life that satisfies he is the bread of life that can fill that empty soul. As Brother Sam said, Jesus does not. Jesus did not and does not exist to fill fleshly bellies. His whole purpose in coming from heaven was to fulfill the Father's will, was to bring spiritual life to fallen mankind. God's will is only possible through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came. If it was possible any other way, Jesus would not have had to come. But Jesus came so that there would be the hope, there would be the possibility of salvation. Jesus came so that no one has to hunger again. 
spiritually. Jesus came so that no one has to thirst. Again, if you remember from last week, that is a double negative. That not under any circumstances, never again. You have been hungry. You are empty now. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can be full. Full for all of eternity. You are thirsty now. You are without what you want. But if you come to me, it doesn't have to be that way. You shall never, ever, not under any circumstances, thirst again. He will give you the gift of eternal life. Okay, Jesus did not say work your best, be baptized, take communion, go to church, and you'll, you'll never hunger. He said believe on me. Believe on me. That is the work of God. Believe on Jesus Christ. Brother Sam said again, it needs to be said over and over again. Outside of Jesus Christ, God provided no bread of everlasting life. Try all else and you will hunger. Eat at the table of pleasure, wealth, religion. You will hunger. Drink at all the fountains and you will thirst again because only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Jesus gave them a clear message. He preached the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But verse number 41 says, The Jews begin to murmur. These were not necessarily, this might not have been the whole multitude, but definitely a portion of them, especially uh, the religious ones, the ones who were involved in Judaism and were self-righteous in and of themselves. Hey, I'm a pretty good person. Hey, I follow the law. Hey, I believe the Bible. And they began to murmur among themselves. This carpenter's son is the bread of heaven? We've met his father. Come now. You're telling me that this man came from heaven? We know his mother. We know that their birth stories, the timeline doesn't match up the best because Jesus was born of a virgin. He was not born of an earthly father. And so the timeline didn't match up. And so they were beginning to go through those different things. And we've seen your uh, father working in Nazareth. We've been in his carpenter shop. We, we know who your mother is, Mary. And uh, we're not ready to believe and surrender that you're the Son of God, we don't, we're not ready to uh, trust you as the Messiah. How are you bread that come down from heaven? We see a carpenter standing in front of us with a bunch of smelly fishermen following him. This isn't exactly what we would uh, perceive as bread coming down from heaven. But Jesus came for the purpose of these men and each person in this room this morning. Jesus came so that they could have eternal life. Sadly, there are many people since that time and even today that are passing away, that are leaving this life, having never tasted of the bread of life. They have not life in them. So we need to ask this. If Jesus is the bread of life, which, which He is. I think we've spent the last couple of weeks demonstrating that from the Scriptures. Jesus is the bread of life. But there are many people who do not receive the bread of life. There are many people who will spend all of eternity thirsting and hungering in the judgment of God in a place the Bible calls hell. There are many people. In fact, God says, broad is the way. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there, there be that go in thereat. So if, there is, but if Jesus is the bread of he heaven, how do we go from on our way to hell to on our way to heaven. How do we taste of that bread? How do we experience that satisfaction? How do we have that eternal life? Well, number one, 
To have the bread that gives eternal life, you must be drawn of the Father. You must heed the truth of God's Word and come to Jesus Christ. Okay? Right now, as Jesus is speaking to these men, right at that very moment, Jesus was drawing these men to Himself. He's going to use that word a couple times in this text. He's going to say, um, verse, um, verse number 44, No man can come to Me except the Father which has sent Me. Draw Him. The idea of draw there is to call, to attract, to come, to persuade to come to. It does not have the idea of against someone's will. Okay, it does not have the idea of God dragging someone, kicking and screaming to the cross of Jesus Christ. It has this idea that he is calling, that he is seeking to persuade, that he is uh, saying, this is what you need, will you come? He was speaking to them of truth. Remember, every word that Jesus spoke was the very words of God. He is God. He, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold His glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the living Word of God, and so He spoke the words of God. The call to salvation is a universal call. Okay, Every person is in need of the bread of life, and the Lord was calling all men to Him. The Lord is going to use, Jesus is going to use that same term in John chapter 12. He said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto Me. Now, we, people could take the word all and try to parse it out different ways, but I've only noted that all means all. Okay, let's just keep it simple and allow the Bible to speak for itself. All means all. He says, I want to draw. I, I, I am drawing, I am calling, I am persuading all men to come to me. Now, the Bible is also very clear that for someone to come to Christ, there must be conviction. For someone to come to Christ, there must be the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life before they're ready to be saved, before they're ready to be born again. That is the drawing that Jesus is talking about. Okay? We need to take a little bit of time here because of the false teachings of men on the issue of drawing. Nowhere in God's Word are you going to find what is called in our, today, called in our world today Reformed theology. If you come across the term Reformed theology, run the other direction. Reformed and Calvinism... Is, is, is the same, okay? Not all Reformed would claim to be Calvinist. Not all Calvinists would necessarily claim to be Reformed, but they're, it basically we're putting it in the same. And this is what they teach. It's a man-made theological system that teaches that God chooses some people to go to heaven and God chooses some people to go to hell and that He draws some and He ignores others. Okay? That's what they teach. That is unbiblical. That is blasphemous to the character of our God. Anything, and so I'm just warning you, if you see the name Reformed, if you see the term Calvinist, we don't listen to that. Not everything they say is wrong. Okay? But our poison is only, is only 3% arsenic, rat poison. It's 97% good cornmeal. I'm serious. Okay? We don't need to go to someone who doesn't understand the character of God to learn about God. 
They're not going to help us know about the grace of Jesus Christ. They're not going to help us know about the love of Jesus Christ. We don't need to go that direction. All right? So let's understand what the Bible says. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is drawing all men to Himself. That's what the Bible says. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Everyone that is drawn doesn't necessarily come. But the message of the gospel is universal. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall eat of that life, whoso eateth and drinketh of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, is, will have eternal life. So how is Jesus drawing them? Is that a good question? If Jesus is drawing all men, amen, how is he doing that? How is he drawing them? Verse number 45. Okay, verse number 44 for context. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Okay, so how do people come to God? They are taught of God, they, are, they hear, and they learn. Okay? The, the, the idea of being taught is to be instructed of pupils receiving instruction. Right there at that moment, the Word of God was being proclaimed. Jesus was not speaking in a special voice that only this person here and that person there could hear and everyone else's ears couldn't pick up His voice. No, He was proclaiming His truth to all men. Everyone that was there was hearing the voice of God. So, he said, uh, verse number 45 there, hath heard, okay? That means to exercise the faculty of hearing, to give careful attention to, to listen to, to heed. So they, so they have heard the word of God. By the way, all the day before, during, before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had taught to them of the kingdom of God. Jesus had been preaching to them the entire day before. What has Jesus been doing once they came to Him? He's been saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He's been dealing in biblical truth. He is preaching to them the greatest truth of God's Word. By the way, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is by the teaching of His Word and the Holy Spirit illuminating His Word that men are drawn to Christ. Okay, It's not just through this erethial feeling or this uh, fuzzy feeling that slips over people. No, it, God draws people to Himself through the truth of God's Word. That's why we are very careful and we do not participate in the charismatic movement and things like that because that draws people by emotional experiences. Oh, I just felt the Spirit of God knock me flat on my back. That's not how God draws people. God draws people through His Word. Everybody with me? Do, do we see what the Word of God says here? He draws people through His Word. They are taught by the Word. Okay, but to be drawn to the Father, they not only needed to hear the Word of God. What does it say there, verse number 45? Everyone, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Everyone in that multitude was hearing the Word of God. But not everyone in that multitude was learning the Word of God. Learning means to gain knowledge, to gain skill, to acquire information 
uh, to come to understand. Okay, It's not just a hearing, but it is a grasping. It is a what we might call a light bulb moment. When you wait a second, oh, that's what it means. Oh, that's how it works. They needed to allow the word that Jesus was preaching to them to have an effect on their thinking and on their hearts. They needed to grasp and understand and believe on Jesus as a result of what he had taught them. They not only needed to hear the word of God, but uh, God was drawing them through that. But to come to him, they had to learn. There had to be a change of thinking. There had to be a grasp of understanding. Growing up, I had the privilege of growing up in a pastor's home, and as a, my dad was a church planner there in New York City, and so I got to sing a lot with my family. We were the only special music in the church growing up, and so I, I, you know, as, even as a six-year-old boy, I was there singing with my family, and I, I began to learn to play the piano a little bit. I don't play anymore, but I, I do play the classical guitar, and I uh, learned some instruments, and as I was learning music, and I could read music a little bit following up and down, my mom tried to teach me, who is, uh, is an incredible musician, incredible pianist, she tried to teach me music theory. How many know what music theory is? Music theory is the mathematical equation of music. It's how you know when to sing, how to sing, how long to hold it, when to stop it, uh, how it's to be played. All of that is in music theory. My mom knows music theory very well. I think I took three years of music theory in homeschool. I didn't get it at all. I heard it. I didn't learn it. When I got to Bible college and they, they, uh, I was privileged to travel on one of the singing teams, I, I still remember to this day the music, uh, the ch uh, music chairman's face as he was there in choir practice and the cutoff wasn't the way it normally was. Instead of being on four, it was on six or something of, uh, of, uh, something of that nature. And I just cut off on four because that that's what felt like. And he goes, Andrew, it's on six. And I give him the blankest look. What's six? He goes, no, 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 you got to count this. I'm like, I don't know how to count. I just feel it. And there was just this look of shock and look of, how did this guy get on the music group? Uh, he hasn't learned this yet. And so I had to listen very carefully and I memorized the uh, counts. But I, I, even as he was explaining it, it still wasn't making any sense. Until I got in my junior year into song leading class. And the, the professor there uh, began teaching uh, some guys who, had, who couldn't hold a tune in a bucket to some people who were on the music groups, to etc. He was trying to teach, how do you conduct congregational singing? How do you direct people or a choir to sing together? And he made this one statement. It, every every um, phrase there... Um, now the term is slipping my head, but every, um, Jesse's trying to mouth it to me and I can't read lips, uh, but every, um, mm, anyway, the section of each is, each one is a mathematical equation. So if it's three, four, there's three beats. If there's four, four, there's four beats. If there's six, eight, it is six beats. And I started counting one, two, three, four, one. This makes sense. I can read, oh, so that means you come in on the upbeat, not on the downbeat, and all of a sudden, I had a light bulb moment. It went from hearing 
to learning. And I am by no means a music theory expert. I can't even remember the name of the term. Okay, but I can understand where to come in and I can read uh, the basic structure of the music and the basic theory of it. Why? Because there went a difference from hearing to learning. And if you're going to be drawn to Jesus Christ, if you're going to, be, if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, there must come a time when it went from hearing to learning. There must come a point in time for when you went from knowing about Jesus Christ and believing that God came and believing that Jesus was, came in Christmas and uh, uh, believed that He died on the cross. There must come in a moment in time when you went from hearing to learning and it changed your thinking and it changed your understanding and then you will come to the Father. If you understand that Jesus is the only way of salvation and that there is nothing that I can do and that I must come to him in humility and trust only in him, if you understand that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient, you will want to come to him. And that is when you taste of the bread of life. And that is when you are satisfied. Those who allow God's word to teach them, to change them, will come to Jesus. One man said, he told these people the real reason for their blindness was not found in the fact that they weren't hearing, but they weren't responsive. They weren't learning. They weren't, re, uh, they weren't responding correctly to what they've been taught. And until they responded correctly, until they learned, they weren't going to get it. They were going to continue arguing among themselves. They were going to continue saying, this doesn't make any sense. Can I tell you this? Every time you hand out a gospel track, every time as a preacher I go out and I knock on someone's doors and invite them to church, that is God drawing that person. Every time someone sits in a service and they hear the Word of God preached, God is drawing that person. God is at work. It's the merciful hand of God. Every time you invite your coworkers, every time you invite your family members to church, every time that someone speaks about God to you, that is the merciful hand of God drawing every person to Himself. But the question is whether you're just going to hear or whether you're going to learn, whether you're going to learn of Him. The drawing of God, the convicting of the Word of God, is to bring you to God. But the work is not completed yet. Just because, oh, I understand. There is something else that needs to take place. And that's what Jesus says. You must eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what He says? Okay. Not only must you be drawn to Him, you must partake of him. Jesus has been emphasizing he is the bread of life. He is greater than the manna that the nation of Israel in the wilderness had eaten. The bread these men were interested in was the physical bread that would not save their life or their soul. They were dead. Those who had eaten the manna it did not have a spiritual power. But the bread, this bread, the bread that Jesus was speaking about, had the power to give them eternal life. How many times does it say, half everlasting life, half eternal life? Jesus was freely offering to them that whosoever would eat of the bread he was speaking about would live forever. It says there, shall live. Verse number um, Verse number 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. This is a promise that God is making to all people. It is an abiding principle. Just as sure as you reap what you sow, 
just as so sure as everything produces after its kind, just as sure as the, as, the, as the moon rises in the night and the sun rises during the day, just as sure as that is the promise that whosoever shall eat of this bread shall live forever. Now, he's not talking about a physical life forever, but he's dealing with a spiritual bread and a spiritual life. He taught them his flesh. Jesus is saying, my flesh will bring life to the world, to every man, to every woman who will believe. I'm going to give this. This is a gift, not something to be earned. And it's going to be the life. End of verse number 51, I will give for the life of the world. Not just for the Jews. Not just for the Gentiles, not just for the elect, but for every person can be saved. The bread that Jesus was trying to give the multitude, a bread that could save their souls, was his own body. You have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. The Jews, because they weren't learning, they were hearing, but they weren't learning, they are striving together. Could, could you imagine that conversation? This guy's teaching us cannibalism? Okay, how is he, how, how he going to keep teaching if we start drinking his blood? We're not vampires here, right? Uh, because they had a physical understanding. They were not understanding the spiritual truths of what he was saying. Jesus is using what we call shock language. Okay? Because they are still thinking in the physical... He is saying it in such a shocking way to jolt their minds into, wait a second, you need to wake up and hear what I'm saying. Okay, it would be very similar to what uh, James used in the, in the book of James chapter 4 where he is addressing believers. And he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James was not dealing with the physical sin of adultery, but he's using shock language. He's using the, okay, James, calm down here. We're not, we're, we're not that bad to make them to realize the spiritual nature of their sin and how that befriending the world was uh, really playing around on God. And you don't need to be, it's shock language that Jesus is using. He said, you need to eat the flesh and drink the blood. He said this, if you do not eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ... Verse number 53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Okay, no life. He's not, now, Jesus is not speaking to corpses. These men had physical life, but they were as dead on the inside as those men who had eaten manna 4,000 years ago. They were as spiritually dead as those men were physically dead because without partaking of the Son of Man, there is no life in you. You are not born again. You do not have hope of eternity with God. But then he goes on to say, um, verse number 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoso, the one that eats, anyone that eats, that to bite or chew food, to drink, to take down liquid, hath. That is a present active indicative. What that means is, from this point, continuous. It is a continual result of what took place. If this happens, you will have never-ending. It is a continuous possession that does not end of eternal life. Okay? 
Now, there's been a lot of false interpretations, including the Catholic Mass and the Protestant Mass, that you need to eat the body and the blood of Jesus Christ uh, physically to receive forgiveness of sins. And they say that when they're partaking in what they call Holy Communion, which is a blasphemy of the, of the truth of Jesus Christ, that you are receiving uh, His actual body and His actual blood. Can we allow the Bible to interpret this for us? Can we allow the Bible, what Jesus is saying Himself, to give us an understanding? Okay? Jesus uses the words, believeth and eateth and drinketh, interchangeably. Okay? I'm going to read you John chapter 6, verse number 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Same present active indicative. Verse number 54 that we just read. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. He is using the language of consumption. He is using this as an illustration that faith is like eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. He is equating believing and eating the flesh and drinking the blood. Does everybody see that? It, he's using the same terms there. Okay, Jesus offers the same promises of eternal life to those who believe and to those who eat and drink his flesh. Verse number 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The promise of resurrection and eternity with God in heaven. Verse number 54 again. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up again at the last day. The promises are the same. The eternal life is the same. So Jesus is simply using eating and drinking as a shocking illustration of what has to take place to believe. That believing is not just I pick Jesus. Oh, I kind of like the idea of Jesus. Believing Jesus is our partaking of Him is a, um, um, is a bringing of Him in His life. And it also is this. It is referring to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay, drinking the blood, eating His flesh. He says that my body is broken for you on the cross. How about this? The Bible clearly teaches that the wages of sin is death. And that to cover sin, there must be a blood sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9. Almost all things by the law are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Okay, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. That to deal with sin, there must be blood shed. That's why the Bible says to escape the judgment of God, Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood. That's why we make a big deal about the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood. Why? Because the Bible says, in whom we have redemption, for forgiveness of sins, the buying back through His blood. Right? Ephesians chapter 1. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Hebrews chapter 9. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He hath entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God?
Is everybody seeing what Jesus is saying? He says, you got to partake of me because without the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no hope of heaven. Without the work that I'm going to do on the cross, you're not going to heaven. There is not eternal life outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is not eternal life outside of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. That's why Jesus would say in John chapter 14, I am the way. Not only am I the bread, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To enjoy the bread of life, you must eat it. You must partake of it. Okay, one man said this. I may look at bread and admire it. I may philosophize of philosophize about bread and analyze it. I may talk about bread and eulogize its qualities. I may handle bread and be assured of its excellency. But unless I eat it, I shall not be nourished by it. All of this is equally true of the spiritual bread Christ. Knowing the truth, speculating about it, talking about it, contending for it will do me no good if I do not receive it into my heart. By the way, no one can do that for you. Same is true of physical eating. He said this, eating is an intensely personal act. It is something which no one else can do for me. There is no such thing as eating by proxy. If I am to be nourished, I must myself eat. Standing by and watching others eat will not supply my needs. So no one can believe in Christ for you. The preacher cannot. Your loved ones cannot. You may have witnessed others receiving Christ as theirs. You may later hear their ringing testimonies. You may be struck by the unmistakable change wrought in their lives. But unless you have eaten the bread of life, unless you have personally received Christ as yours, it has all availed you nothing. That's what Jesus is saying. I am drawing all men to me. You need to hear my word. You need to listen to it. You need to learn it, understand it. Then you've got to partake of it. You've got to believe in me. But you know what the wonderful truth is? Just, just a couple quick points and we're done. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will be satisfied. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will never hunger again. In fact, Brother Sam gave three points, three wonderful truths about belonging to Jesus. Number one, no one who believes in Jesus will ever be cast out or rejected. If you understand the Gospel and you partake of Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Rahab the harlot was accepted. The woman at the well was accepted. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the cheat, the chief of publicans and sinners. Jesus said, today salvation has come to His house. The thief on the cross was accepted. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was never baptized. He never attended church once. He never put any money in the offering plate. But because he believed on Jesus Christ, Jesus said, he, I will in no wise cast out. No one who has ever come to Jesus has ever been cast out. Number two, no one who, ever believe, who has believed in Jesus will ever be lost. Verse number 39 there. says, This is the Father's will which has sent me that all which He hath given me I shall lose nothing. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he's, He has never lost one person's soul. He has never misplaced one person. 
Everyone who comes to Him is kept in His hand, which is in the Father's hand, neither shall any man pluck them out of My Father's hand. If you come to Jesus Christ, He keeps your soul. The Bible says we are kept by the power of God through faith. Not because of our faith, but because of the power of God. No one can take you. How about this? No one who believes in Jesus Christ will miss the resurrection. Hey, there is eternity with God to look forward to. We may look at this life and say, man, this life isn't what I want it to be, but we're not to be about the physical. We're not to be about the temporal. But because we believed in Jesus Christ, we have the eternal to look forward to. Where God has promised there's no more pain, there's no more uh, tears, there's no more sickness, there's no more death. That If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the, the, the resurrection of the dead is assured. There were believers down through ages that were burned in their ashes, were scattered to the wind and in the rivers, and yet God has promised their soul is safe in God. Right now they are in the presence of God. They are enjoying the goodness of God for all of eternity. Can I tell you what? That is the satisfaction of the bread of life. That is why we can know, hey, Jesus Christ is everything that we need. It's not because this life is so much better or we just have all the physical blessings we want. No, but because we have an eternity in heaven to look forward to. Because we have a God who will never leave us and will never forsake us and will never let us go. And He has given us eternal life that will never go away. See, you can enjoy eternal life, a secured eternity with God when you heed the truth of Christ and you personally receive the person and the sacrifice of Christ. It's that simple. It's that simple. But many people in this room say, I can remember the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. If you can, can I tell you, you need to trust Jesus Christ? Don't just keep hearing. Believe. Partake. But if you have believed on Jesus Christ, can I give one point of application and we're done? Don't go anywhere else. If He is the bread of life, if He is the giver of every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in, him is, in whom is no variable this, neither shadow of turning. If He has promised, seek first the kingdom of God and all these, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. If we had to come only to Jesus for salvation, don't we know that if we continue eating of Him and we continue walking with Him that we're going to enjoy the presence of God not only in eternity, but you can be saved and happy about it? You can enjoy the presence of God in life's worst case scenarios right now. If, if you have been saved, don't look to the world. Don't look to uh, anything to give you satisfaction. Don't look to some other person to give you satisfaction. Look to Jesus Christ, who is everything that we need. Rely on Him. Go to Jesus Christ for the sustenance that we need every single day. Because He not only is the bread of life for salvation, He's the bread of life. It's the abiding principle. He is what we need. That's why we sing the song, more and more about Jesus. The more you learn about Jesus, the more you'll be satisfied with Him. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. Lord, I just pray that You would help us to trust You Lord, that if there's one person in this room who does not know You as Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone who's just struggling, who knows they're saved but is struggling, that 
today would be the day that they just reach out and grab onto you. Walk with you a little closer. I pray that you would do the work, hearts and lives. Help us to remember your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Take a moment. Have the piano begin to play. He's a meal that satisfies for all of eternity. Are you saved? Are you relying on Him?